The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 The Bronx, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 and 2021 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting live from the Bronx, all new digital broadcast studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411, Health 411. I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by the Ryder University Health Studies Institute. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health. In healthcare, our goal is to expand your knowledge and your perspective. Today, Dan Gaines, our student producer, and I are going to have a conversation about insecticides and natural insecticides. And we welcome you to listen in on our conversation. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're not a guest. You are the <laughs> producer here. You belong here. And um, I was inspired to have this conversation because we are um, sort of towards the end of a summer here right now in the Ryder campus and people are outside and enjoy, enjoying the natural weather. The humidity has gone. Some of the heat wave that we've had in the, the summer in New Jersey is um, waning. Um, and so people are outside yet. We are joined outside by a lot of critters that are outside. Some of those critters we enjoy watching, the bunnies that are running around, right? The birds, right? Mm -hmm. But some of the critters that we encounter when we're outside, we do not enjoy encountering. What are some of those guys? You got mosquitoes, ticks, yes. horseflies. Yes, all the, 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 the insects, right? And a lot of us spend a lot of time, a lot of money um, with a lot of things trying to remediate insect, uh, um, either infestations or annoyances in our backyard, right? I encountered this just last night when I was outside, um, you know, having a drink on my, out of my patio. I know my daughter has an apartment um, in Manhattan is often now encountering a fly infestation and these flies are buzzing around and she's looking for ways to try to remediate that. And we are both fortunate and unfortunate that we have ways of dealing with, you know, insects when we are outside. Um, but nature also has ways of dealing with insects and there are natural insecticides and, there, and we'll talk about some of those there are also synthetic insecticides, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those today. And why are some of these important? Well, in addition to just being annoying, things like mosquitoes and flies, um, as you mentioned, ticks, um, those kinds of critters can carry disease. Ticks can carry 
Lyme disease. Lyme disease, correct, which is a kind of bacteria that a small percentage of a certain kind of tick carries that can get into people. Um, uh, mosquitoes can carry things like malaria. Malaria is a, is a classic one, which is another parasitic infection. Um, anything else? Um, Fleas can carry things like the bubonic plague um, and things like that. Uh, West Nile virus is another thing that's around here. A lot of these um, insect-borne diseases. Zika Zika virus is another one. Uh, A lot of these kind of um, illnesses, some of them happen in uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africa kind of places other than happen other ones happen in the jungle we are relatively fortunate here in the northeast part of the United States where you know I guess the tick-borne diseases are some of the, the some of the more serious ones in terms of getting people sick sick but it's not the only ones that are out there so not only are mosquitoes lice fleas bed bugs flies and ticks annoying but on occasion they can carry diseases that um, can infect people and, and make people sick. Um, in nature, right, it just so happens that there are naturally occurring insecticides. What kinds of life are have naturally occurring insecticides in them? Typically plants. Like- yeah, bingo. So why do plants make what we would call insecticides? It's to avoid from being eaten. Yeah. So something like a tobacco plant makes a compound that we now call nicotine. Mm -hmm. And they make this nicotine not so humans can harvest the leaves, dry it, and smoke it and become addicted. That's not why the tobacco plant makes nicotine. The the tobacco plant makes nicotine so that if an insect nibbles on the plant leaves... It feels weird and it doesn't stop eating it. Right. Humans are a little bit unique in that regard and they'll go, oh, wow, I feel a little weird. I want some more of that. (laughs) Right. So you you agree? Yeah. And it's not just those sort of chemicals. There's a a whole bunch of these things, chemicals, and we can have, we actually have had on Health 411 other uh, shows about humans' use of naturally occurring chemicals like to get high or get stoned or change their mood and stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about today. What we're going to talk about is the development of some of these and the investigation of naturally occurring insecticides. And when people study these things, they can make synthetic synthetic alternative or synthetic things related to that. One of the things right now is one of the uh, reasons that, that made me think about doing this radio show. And I mentioned my, my daughter is having a fly infestation of sort of her patio area um, where she lives. And they're trying, you know, some traps, but there's so many flies. And she says, well, I want to use some naturally occurring things. I just don't want to use chemicals. And we'll talk about how some of the chemicals work, but I want to use like these essential oils, right? To try, (laughs) you're you're laughing, to to try to to keep away the flies. Um, And again, these insects that are annoying to her. And so part of what we'll talk about today is essential oils and what the, how these things um, sort of work. Um, but let's let's sort of like talk about like some of the the, the big like um, how how 
um, insecticides, whether they are naturally occurring or synthetic insecticides, right? How these things are affecting the insects, like why do they work, right? And there are some general categories or patterns of things of how these chemicals sort of work, and we're going to talk about them. Um, some um, chemical, some insecticides are in a family of chemicals that are called organophosphates. You've, have you heard of these before, Dan? Yeah. I know you've taken courses with me, so I know you've heard about these. Yeah, we had a neurochem lab where actually organophosphates are pretty toxic. Like, theoretically, if I remember right, can't they kill a human? <laughs> yeah, 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 no shit. Yeah, they could kill a human. <laughs> so some of the some of the chemicals that were used to kill people, whether they're VX, VA, sarin, all those like chemical weapons of mass destruction, those kinds of things are organophosphates. They were originally developed right before World War One by the, the fertilizer industry, the chemical industry that were trying to develop insecticides to improve crop yields, right? So they developed these family of drugs we now call organophosphates, and a lot of them are um, what are called acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Right? And now, without going into it, acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter that is released at the neuromuscular junction. And in order for this neurotransmitter to signal between presynaptic neurons and the postsynaptic muscle cell, it has to be released, has its effect on a postsynaptic cell, and then go away. There's an enzyme called acetylcholinesterase that removes it. So that way, it keeps the, sort of the, cycle, the life cycle of the neurotransmitter going. Acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, these drugs stop that. So when they affect, will paralyze the nervous system. They will paralyze the nervous system of insects. And as you mentioned, in high doses, or not even high doses, but if given to you, like humans, will, will kill people as well. Chemical weapons of mass destruction. There are also some um, acetylcholine-like agonists, or drugs that, that, like the nicotine that yeah. we mentioned before, the acetylcholine agonist. Again, it interferes with the ability of this neurotransmitter system to, to signal postsynaptic cells so the nervous system doesn't work normally. Both of those things, you know, nicotine is still a great insecticide, but if you spray it on plants and then people eat the plants, people will still feel weird. That's why they don't use nicotine as an insecticide anymore. It's a very effective uh, thing. Then there are uh, other, other kinds of um, insecticides that, are, uh, that work through a different neurotransmitter system that work through the GABA signaling, GABA aminobutyric acid. Um, it by, it's, it, the, the GABA-A receptor is a chloride ion channel. There are certain ones that block that chloride ion channel, and you're nodding because you know that's going to stop the ability of nervous system signaling to happen as well, and it can cause neuron hyperactivity. You block that inhibitory neurotransmitter, and animals will sort of shake to death. And then there are also sodium um, channel modulators. Now, these things occur in nature, and these things can be mimicked synthetically, and we're going to talk about sort of these mechanisms of actions. We're going to talk about these chemicals that are synthetic. We're going to talk about some of these chemicals that are natural 
And we're going to do that in our subsequent sec, sec, sub, subsequent segments. That was easy for me to say. And we'll be right back with Health 411 after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx at 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 107.7 TheBronc.com. We are recording from the Bronx Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. Dan and I are engaged in a conversation about insecticides. And a lot of people are have trouble grasping the idea that something that naturally occurs in nature could actually not be safe. Like, oh my God, like how could that be? But we know that. We know like snake venom, I'm not saying it's an insecticide, but snake venom occurs naturally. It's not safe, you know? Um, honeybee venom is not safe. Tetrodotoxin from the pufferfish. Peppermint oil for infants. <laughs> could be peppermint oil. I don't know about that, but there's a lot of things that occur in nature that are not safe. So just because something occurs in nature doesn't necessarily mean it's safe. And in the world of looking for insecticides with what we're talking about in today's program, by definition, these are things that are going to either change the physiology and kill an insect or change the physiology and behavior of an insect and make the insect not behave normally. It's gonna affect its nervous system and affect what it's gonna do. So if you're an insect, Right? And you encounter nicotine, it's certainly not a safe, not a safe chemical. If, you are, if you're an insect and you encounter um, other kinds of compounds that come even, from the, even if they're from plants, it's going to change your behavior. We also have chemicals that are out there that are known to change behavior. Um, and these are some of the synthetic things. The, the one that um, at the, at the, at the uh, when I was outside on my patio and I was thinking, hey, let's do a show on you know, insecticides. One of the first things that people talk about is DEET, right? So DEET is this, this uh, is sort of the, a common active ingredient in many commercially available insecticide products, right? Um, DEET is the short name for a, a a, a, a relatively long compound. Uh, it's a it's a one octin three all compound. In, in sort of shortly, but it's called DEET. DEET can per keep insects away, particularly mosquitoes and stuff. But all DEET will not work all the time, right? Studies have been done, even in the New England Journal of Medicine. I found one that compared DEET under different circumstances. So just because a product has DEET in it doesn't mean it's gonna keep the insects away. It turns out you need a product that has about 20% concentration of DEET in it to keep the insects away. DEET at about 20% will last about, uh, uh, the data show about 10 to 12 hours on your skin or on your clothes. How does DEET work? Well, people are still, even though it's out there, it's in a lot of products, DEET works by, in a sense, blinding the mosquitoes 
to you. Mosquitoes, some people think, are attracted to the chemicals, the sort of the smells that humans give off, right? In order for the mosquito to find you and then land on you and bite you, it has to, in a sense, smell you. It doesn't see the way that you see with its visual system. It works with this chemical. And what happens if their DEET is there, DEET, the idea is being, it blocks this olfactory receptor in the mosquito's nervous system, and then the mosquito does not land on you and bite you and cause, cause, cause an itch. So that is a way that DEET might work. Um, there are also a family of things that are like pepper extracts, the Picardin. Is, is the kind of thing that sometimes if you look at a lot of these, you know, homemade insecticides, they say grind up a pepper or something like that, because there are com there are compounds um, in it that, that are derivatives of uh, pepperdines. Right. And that these things can uh, be applied to things in the same sort of thing. And, and again, it works in a sort of the same way that DEET would work, is it makes the, olf the olfactory system, the chemical detection system of certain insects unable to uh, uh, sense you, so it won't land on you and bite you. I mention uh, those two things because they work in sort of the, the same sort of way. Sort of cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting to think about because that means that like whatever kind of scent molecules you're secreting it needs to have like a stronger kind of natural the DEET needs to have a stronger kind of natural capability to bind to the mosquitoes olfactory system compared to you essentially yeah, it, it, so it has to, and it's what you're trying to say, I think what you're trying to say, is the word for it, it has to have a higher affinity for the receptor than whatever molecule is in like human sweat that the mosquito yeah. is otherwise detecting. Yeah. Ab absolutely, if they're in, in competition, right? And so in effect, you're blinding the animal. So it, it, right, have, the chemical goes in there, and so it doesn't sense you, and it won't land on you and bite you. That's sort of cool. Isn't yeah. that sort of cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so those are some of the, the, the more common ones. Some of the um, that are both uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of chemically produced and they're, and they're put into um, into products all the time that are anti-insect products. But we want people to ask the question, not only does it work, how long does it work for? Because these products are not always the same. It's like sunning, it's like putting suntan lotion on. Not every suntan lotion product, just because they say it's like suntan or sunblock or something like that, is gonna block the same amount of sun. How long right. does it last for how long and all that sort of stuff. It's the same thing when looking at these things. We, you know, we mentioned the organophosphates. The organophosphates are great chemical pesticides. They're going to, at high enough doses, inhibit acetylcholinesterase, and they're going to, they, they will kill insects, and they'll kill people too. Um, the pyrethrins um, are all another family of, of compounds that are used synthetically, but they're originally derived like from uh, chrysanthemums, the, the, the plant the flower mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, these things prevent the closure of voltage-gated sodium channels, which are important for... That's important for, like, resetting your neurons and kind of after your neurons fire, they need time to, like, readjust. And if the sodium channels stay open, 
then it loses the membrane potential. Yeah, and without a membrane potential, nervous systems do not work, right? So even though it's a naturally occurring compound, it is an insecticide. The pyrethrins are, in, are insecticides or insect repellents because if it gets into the insect, right, it will effectively kill them, Jeez. right? And remember, we're talking about things that are either naturally occurring, right? Yet people use them. And I just want to put out there, you know, there are, you know, an insect. Would you agree insects are animals? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, insects insects are animals. And there's a lot, you know, uh, how much of an animal is an animal. But there are, like, for example, you know, animal rights activists to say, you know, the only interaction between a human and an animal should be had the by the animal's choice in its natural habitat. Yet, the, some, I bet some of these same people will use insecticides or insect repellents, right, for their own comfort and convenience and safety. And some of these things, mm -hmm. even if they're not derived from naturally occurring compounds, will actually kill the insects that they encounter. I'm just putting that out there as something to think about. And because not a lot of people think about the insecticide or the insect repellent that is in the compound that they're that they're um, they're using. So if you have something that has this chrysanthemum derivative, um, the pyrethrin in it, um, you can actually kill the insects that are um, in, in, encountering it. Right. This way of thinking of using natural products to interfere with insects biting you becomes really, really important, especially when we talk about things that are very popular right now, even in my daughter's mind, these essential oils. And what the essential oils are promoted as these quote unquote natural insecticides or natural, you know, insect repellents. And we're gonna talk more about those things a little bit uh, on Health 411 after some underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. Dan and I are having a, a conversation. Dan's doing more listening, or we're trying to get him more involved, about insecticides and how they work. And I brought up this idea of natural oils. Have you heard of, or not natural oils, essential oils. Have you heard of essential oils, Dan? Yeah, I've heard of them. What do you know about them? Um, one thing I know that a lot of people don't realize is they're derived from any part of the plant. It's not like a specific oil. It's just kind of whatever they can extract it from. Mm -hmm. But typically what they are is they're just basically plant oils that are presumed to have specific benefits that are marketed. Um, I'm familiar with some of the research on it. I know it shows that stuff like lavender actually does help with sleep. However, some of the other oils haven't necessarily been backed up scientifically. Okay. 
Well, let, let's go back, and I want to make an analogy with one of the things I presented that actually have been studied, like, for example, DEET as a chemical. DEET is an effective, you know, insecticide or insect repellent. Um, DEET, in all cases, is not always effective, mm -hmm. right? What do you need? If you had a compound that was 0.5% DEET and you sprayed it on you, would the, would the insect stay away? No. Why? Because there's not a high enough concentration. concentration of it to be have. It's like you have not exceeded in what medicine, what's called the minim, minimally effective dose. Yeah. Okay. So when you set, when you bring up a compound like some lavender oil, probably a lot of different compounds in lavender oil, too many to go into. And you say it has some effect. Uh, on insect abilities, you have to not only ask, does it work? You have to ask, is there enough of it? And if it works, for how long? Because a lot of these chemicals are very volatile, which means what? It means that they're very kind of fragile and reactive type of things. Or they evaporate, yeah. <laughs> right? Which means it could be there. If it's volatile, it becomes vaporized and it goes away. So it may be an effective insect insecticide, which kills the insect or insect repellent, but it may only be for a very short amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. Citronella certainly has that characteristic and it's some debatable whether citronella actually works or not. And some of that I'm willing to bet has to do with when people burn citronella candles, you don't always know which way the wind is blowing or whether the wind is blowing the mosquitoes away because mosquitoes are no notoriously bad flyers, whether it's the smoke, whether it's the heat, or is there enough citronella per area to actually have an effect? So to, to say a blanket statement, you know, you know, something from lavender has some sort of effect, you really don't know until the you have to find the minimally effective yeah. dose for it to work. And this is one of the problems with the entire essential oil family of things, right? <laughs> the joke is if they're essential oils, how many of them do you have with you now? <laughs> how essential are they? But the <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. But one of the issues is, right, if you have a plant extract and you don't know whether it comes from the stem, whether it's coming from the leaves, whether it's coming from the flowers, you don't know the soil that it was in, that it was grown in. You, you literally don't know the concentration of these oils, right? It's like when you buy marijuana on the street, you don't know what the concentration of the THC, which is a, in a sense, a sense an, an oil-like compound, right? Mm -hmm. From the, the leaves of that plant, right? You don't know what you're getting, right? So you have to ask the question, does it work? How much of it do I need? And for how long? And what's very, very interesting that I found out about the entire essential oil industry, uh, the botanicals, is that this, these categories, because they're not considered drugs, they're not regulated. These are unregulated compounds. And just for the hell of it, I went on and you Google, you know, natural insect repellent or natural insecticides. Do you think you get five hits? You get probably thousands. thousands. Yes, thousands of hits of all different kinds of products selling you this stuff, 
right? And if you look at, and I spent a little bit of time just because it's entertaining, scrolling through some of the, I guess I'm going to get a lot of these pop-up ads now. Going through and looking at these products, they have a nice packaging. Some of them have sprays, some of them have rubs, some of them have those things you can burn, let alone the idea of you burn it, you can change it, and all this other stuff, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the incense and yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It's and, weird that the FDA has no role in that, though. Well, the, the Food and Drug Administration is different from the Environmental Protection Association. Two different kinds of things. The FDA is... Is, 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 is not designed to regulate natural like products that have no medicinal or claims. And, that, and they all say that at the bottom of it, but you're not using it as a medicine, you're using it as an insecticide. So even if you have a compound that has some you know, anti-insect activity to it, and you put it into a bottle and you make it a spray, it doesn't mean that spray is gonna be effective. Because you have to ask, does it work? How much do I need? And how long is it going to act? And if you look at all those ads, all those pop-up things, they don't tell you that. What they tell you is it's a naturally occurring compound. It's safe for the environment. And then there's a whole industry about how a lot of these things are non-toxic for pets. Because I guess some of these plant comp, like like chocolate's not good for dogs or something like that, right? There's a whole bunch of things like that that's out there. And... All they're basically saying is that these things are, you know, if you have something that is neutral to the environment, and by definition, you want to change the behavior of animals that are in the environment. That's kind of contradictory. It is kind of contradictory. Yet, in the, in the world of essential oils, what do you start to get? You start to get these products that are out there doing these sort of things. Now, some of them have actually done um, some research, and they might contain, um, you know, compounds that are, you know, DEET alternatives or, 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 or something like that. Um, and there are things out there, but you need high concentrations of these things that are going to be biologically active for, its, for, for, for these things going to work. And you have to look out for that stuff. Um, and there's a lot of interviews for people who study like insects and insect behavior. Almost none of them, none of those people from what I was able to find, recommend using essential oils to keep insects away. And why do you want to keep them away? You want to keep the insects away for the convenience of not getting bit in mosquito bites or fly bites or something like that, or even tick bites. But also, um, in some places, these critters do carry disease. So you want to say mm-hmm. something, Dan? Um, I lost it. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you lost your thought. And that, 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 that's quite all right. So, you know... Um, you know, and so here's a quote from a New England of Journal, a New England Journal of Medicine um, article: Alternative, common natural products generally fail to live up to their reputations for greater safety and effectiveness, and offer their users a, a false sense of security. Right, and I find that pretty, pretty. Um, pretty interesting and related to some of the things that we were talking about none of the essential oils or the essential oil repellents that are out there make the cdc the center for disease control list of you know of something that's that's that is 
regulated or controlled or people have to worry about. Now, insects, again, we said are animals, right? If you want to change the animal's behavior to keep it away from you or kill it, right? The way that the insect nervous system works is very similar to the way that your nervous system works, which mm -hmm. is why one of the reasons I talked about nicotine and the organophosphates is because those chemicals work, can interfere with the ability of, an, of a neurotransmitter, in this case, like acetylcholine, to signal a postsynaptic cell in not only an insect or a fly or a tick or something like that, but also in you, in, 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 in people. In fact, the general rules of the nervous system physiology of neurons acting work the same in those things. And what we know is that these compounds, even if they're natural insecticides, they're not, their safety uh, and selectivity is not absolute. Some of these compounds are toxic and can induce adverse effects in experimental animals, mammals. And we're gonna talk a lot, a little bit, a little bit about that after we break for some underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, recording from the Bronx studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. I am here with Daniel Gaines, our student producer, and we are talking in a general sort of way about insecticides and insect repellents. And we are talking about them in the context of, you know, if these are chemicals, they're going to change the behavior or kill an insect, the possibility exists that they could also have an effect on you and other animals in the environment. So in experimental animals, given enough of these things, um, even in mammals, it can cause liver toxicity, kidney toxicity, blood toxicity, reproductive tox, neurotox, oxidative stress. The compounds that come from natural insecticides are not necessarily safe. In fact, essential oils can be classified everywhere from highly hazardous to unlikely toxic. And you know, and people have done these sort of things. The term natural does not necessarily mean safe. And it do, does not mean um, that the, you know, and also the word organic does not necessarily mean, it just means naturally no, occurring. And what humans have done is when they figure out what the molecule is in a plant, they often try to upscale it, right? So they don't have to grow the plant. It's like, can we organically synthesize these molecules and then put them into products? Right. About a year ago or so, the um, one of these there was a, a plant a terpenoid called nutcatone. Right, nutcatone was discovered to be um, an insecticide. It's a chemical. It's a naturally occurring chemical um, that causes sort of the grapefruit smell. You know, you've experienced yeah. that smell. Yeah. Right? So if you've ever had a grapefruit, right, you, you've ingested nutcatone. People figured out that this was an insecticide, 
right? And about a year ago, um, the FDA gave approval to sort of to certain companies to try to investigate to scale up the production of this compound so people didn't have to grind up grapefruit to, to get it out. What's interesting though is they figured out that nucatone um, is actually a naturally occurring octopamine receptor um, um, agonist. You, have you heard of octopamine receptors, Dan? No. What is it? It. Have you heard of the uh, beta adrenergic or alpha and beta adrenergic oh, receptors? Oh yes, I've heard about the adrenergic okay. so, receptors. So there is a subtype of a, a receptor for norepinephrine that's called the alpha receptor subtype that binds yeah. a compound and also called octopamine. And so oh. if 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 this basically activates that receptor system, so if you get this chemical into insects, they'll They'll like shake to death. They'll yeah, they'll Jeez. seize, right? And, and then they'll die. So, but it's also a very effective insecticide. And so you talk about, you know, the FDA looking at these things. So Nucatone has been, you know, FDA has gave approval for a couple companies to develop the processes to commercially produce this naturally occurring chemical, but do it in, and the idea is to create like a spray or create something that would be an insecticide. Now. Is it a naturally, it's mimicking a naturally occurring chemical. It's safe to people because people eat it, right, at certain doses. But if it gets into the insect nervous system, it can cause them to die. But it's a naturally occurring compound. Is it safe? Yeah, I'm just kind of wondering, let's say hypothetically is a spray mm -hmm. giving kind of that when you inhale something, it hits a lot more concentrated than if you eat something. I'm wondering if it would be dangerous to children. Well, I, first of all, I don't know if that if your if the your premise is accurate. Um, I did, because I meant it, like kind if, of if you more. well, if you breathe something, the amount of whatever you're breathing into you is going to depend on the the distance, the source. It's like if you encounter somebody who has too much cologne or perfume. The closer you are to them, the more intense the smell is, right? So, it's 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 it. Just because you can smell something doesn't mean you've got a lot of it in there. Yeah, it depends. It depends what it is. Trying to infer like in a closed kind of short space. Yeah, in a closed setting, you you again, it comes back to the idea. And I know you've had classes with me. At the beginning of most every neuro class, we talk about dose response curves. Yeah. Right. Is the effect of a drug always the same? No. No. It depends on what? It depends on binding affinity. Too complicated. It depends on how much of it is, right? And, right, you know, how you ingest it. Yeah. So if you get take a drug IV, the effect is going to be very, very quick, but it's going to be relatively short-lasting compared to taking a, eating a drug. Right. Those of you who have either smoked a drug or eaten the same drug know the time course of the effects is very, very different. Right. And the intensity of the effects are very different. It's because you can't say the effect of the drug is always the same. The same thing happens in the an example I often use is alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have two beers, the effect on you is even if you drink the two beers, no one's going to like snort two beers. But if you drink two beers of alcohol, the effect on you is going to depend on whether you do it with a meal or you haven't eaten all day and you have two beers, right? Yeah. Same amount of alcohol 
same drug, but the effect on you as an organism is going to be very, very different. Right? All this sort of stuff plays into, does it work? How much do I need? And how long is it, does it last? Right? Just like the ingestion of alcohol for you. Mm -hmm. right? and, and when you look at either DEET as a synthetic chemical, whether you look at um, you know, a pepper, one of this Picardin, these pepper extracts naturally occurring, whether you look at nicotine or you look at nootcatone, you have to think of, you know, does it work? How is it getting to the insect? Concentration, right? The deliverable dose, the biologically active dose to the animal. And that's the kind of stuff. And in the world of the essential oils, like I said, there are thousands of them out there. Thousands of these things, not all of them are gonna work. Just because it's an essential oil doesn't mean anything's happening. And then when you talk about, oh, this thing is safe for cats, safe for dogs, safe for your pet fish, if it's safe for everything that it encounters, how good of an insecticide is it really gonna be? And I think this is what you're getting at a little bit, Dan, is the idea is if you use some of these things, are you creating like a toxic hazard? Are you creating yeah. toxicity around you? Um, and, and so uh, I'm making a big story out of it, but was that what, what you were sort of yeah, getting at? Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like if we're kind of, Flying too close to the sun with some of the stuff. <laughs> um, certainly, the use of organic phosphates in agricultural as insecticides is a major problem because some of these chemicals that are produced by people live in the live in the environment for a long time. They can get into the soil, they can get into the water supply, and then they're affecting not only the insects, but they can affect wildlife. Some, some of the insecticides that are used, like I said, they no longer use nicotine as an, as an insecticide for plants and vegetables. It works great for saving the crops, but people would eat it and then people would get like lightheaded and buzzed <laughs> and, and stuff like that, which is bad. And so, yes, some of those things are true. Other ones are less so. One of the reasons DEET is continued to be popular, especially above around that 20-25% concentration thing, is it um, is volatile. It evaporates. It yeah. is destroyed by sunlight. Same thing with some of these other things. Some of these things will stay around for long periods of time. Some of them won't. You know, sunlight can destroy the biological activity of a lot of these um different kinds of compounds. And again, there are thousands of these chemicals out there. The average buyer has no idea. You might, on the other side of it, you might have something that's effective for five minutes, 10 minutes, right? And then it's volatile and it, or the sunlight destroys it. And yeah, it was an effective insecticide or an insect, insect repellent for 10, you know, let's, let's call it 15, let's be generous to call it 15 minutes. Yeah. What do you want to keep, keep applying it every 15 minutes? Right, that becomes disruptive from where we started, which says the quality of life is improved if you're outside, if the insects aren't biting you. Also, most of them I've noticed don't have concentrations listed. Bingo, I wanted to get to that too. Thank you for reminding me. A lot of these essential oil products that are out there, and that was unprompted for anybody who's listening, <laughs> right? do not tell you how much of the thing that they're actually testing is in there. It's not regulated. You don't, if it was regulated, then the batch to batch quality is there. But by not telling you how much of it's in there, uh, they can, you know, one day it's 5%, one day it's 8%, one day it's 12 or 3. You don't know how much of the compound is there. You don't know how much mm -hmm. you need, 
right? And, and if I have a, a limited amount of the compound, oh, we'll just put less in today. Yeah, and we'll add some perfumes to make it smell good. Right. So I, you know, you've heard of the, the people being wary of snake oil salesmen for mm -hmm. medicines to people. Right? My take on some of this industry is sort of the same thing. Yeah, they, I'd agree with that. They're trying, they're trying to sell you stuff. Um, anyway, just something to think about, something to be aware of. Uh, and unfortunately, we are running out of time, Dan. Mm -hmm. So this is Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7thebronc.com. Thank you for listening. This program is part of Ryder University's efforts to bring people together to address all sorts of issues associated with health and healthcare. And today we're talking about natural insecticides and human-made, man-made insecticides. If you have questions or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Policy. And Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.